be finding Romans chapter number eight, Romans chapter number eight. And uh, if you've been here for Sunday morning service or if you've watched online for the past uh, few weeks, you know that we've been in Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 7, and today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And uh, this is all interesting. In chapter 6, we started with the principles of sanctification, and we moved into uh, chapter 7 last week, and, and looked. And in chapter 7, you find the practice of sanctification, and, and there in how, how Paul is, is so aggravated, and he's, he's annoyed at the fact that uh, even though he, he doesn't want to sin, he does. And he has to, he struggles with that. And, you know, he hates, it's clear that he hates the sin that he does. And, um, you know, I, I think that's just an amazing picture of the Christian life. And, and I also think it's one of the best assurances of salvation that we have as believers. And uh, I know uh, when I ask the Lord to save me, I know, um, I don't know the date and I don't know the exact hour, but I can take you to a place. But you know what? None of that, I'm just going to be real with you. As far as a testimony, that don't really matter to me. You want to know the most assuring thing that I am really saved? You want to know what it is? It's that struggle that I have between my flesh and the inward man. That. We got a lot of people today. This ain't my message, but we'll get into it in a second. We got a lot of people today in church that live. I'm just going to be honest with you. They live like they've never been saved. And they don't struggle with it. But yet their faith is in a date and a time. Isn't that strange? You know what you ought to have faith in today? Jesus Christ. I know it's been preached down through the years. I've heard men preach it, convicting, if you don't remember the time. No, let's talk about the struggle within that we have. That is the most Assuring thing of my salvation today is that I, I can go out here and do what I want, but technically I can't because that inward man will not allow me to. And when I do mess up, when I do sin, oh, oh he shows me. I know it. I know when I'm wrong, not, not, to, not to be arrogant, but because the Holy Spirit tells me that I've done something wrong we got a lot of people that's lacking that today. And so that's what we find going on in chapter 7. Paul struggling with uh, the two natures that are now inside of him. The, the flesh, and which is sinful, and then the spirit, which is saved. And so that's what we see the practice of sanctification in chapter 7. But now today, we're going to move on and look at the power of sanctification. That's what we find in chapter number 8. And, and Romans chapter 8 is one of the richest chapters in all the Bible. This chapter offers hope. It offers blessing. It offers encouragement. It offers comfort. And uh, verse 1 sets the tone for the entire chapter. Look at it with me. In verse number 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now you think about that just for a second. No condemnation. Think about the context here. 
Chapter 6, chapter 7, think about what was going on in those chapters. We're no longer in bondage to sin. We are free from sin. He's not our master anymore. God is. Chapter 7, we find that there is a real struggle. And you know a lot of people... Uh, uh, you know, uh, contradictory to what I just said, it's it's the biggest thing in my life to know that I'm a Christian, to know that I'm saved because I have that struggle. But see, some people, they have that struggle and it doesn't do anything but beat them down and discourage them all the time. Something must be wrong with me. Why am I? I'm, I'm saved now. Why do I have these thoughts? Why do I do this? Why? You see what I'm saying? Well, the Bible tells us we're gonna. That's why Paul said to reckon yourself. Don't let it get you down. It's part of the Christian life. I'm not making an excuse for you to go out and do anything you want. Don't even spin it to say that. What I'm saying is it's normal for us to struggle with some things in our life. And... uh, Chapter number eight starts out there with the words, no condemnation. Let that sink in for just a minute. They remind us that the child of God is no longer under God's wrath or in danger of God's judgment. The believer has forever been delivered from the threat of hell and the eternal punishment of sin. The believer is no longer separated from God by a wide gulf of sin, but is made nigh by the blood of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. And as Romans 8 unfolds, we learn that the aggravation and the turmoil that we face in this life will eventually one day be replaced with glory and with joy. If you hadn't noticed anything, what I've preached the past three weeks is completely opposite of what's being preached in the most popular pulpits of America. We struggle. That's just the truth. It's not all roses. It's not. It, it's, it's hard. It's one of the problems today. People aren't being honest with other people. It's setting them up for failure. It's setting them up for discouragement and disappointment. We need to get into the Word of God and see what the truth is. And that's what we've been doing the past few weeks. And so I want to focus this morning on verses 18 through 23 in chapter number 8. And if you found your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. And we'll take a look at them here this morning. In Romans chapter number 8, look in verse number 18. We find these words. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body." I'd like to preach a little while this morning on the thought of quit your groaning. After looking at chapters 
6 and chapter number 7, and especially chapter number 7, you might think that everything is negative about the Christian life. After all, fighting with this flesh gets awful tiring, doesn't it? It gets awful aggravating, doesn't it? But listen to me. Chapter 8 tells us that the things we have to deal with in this present life are not even worthy to be compared to what's in store for us in the future. And that's what we need to hold on to this morning. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Let's take a look at these verses. The first thing we find in verse number 18, or the first set of verses here in Romans chapter 8, is we find the anticipation of the believer. The anticipation of the believer. Look in verse number 18. We see in verse number 18 what we endure. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The suffering that Paul speaks of here is, uh, is, is that suffering which has resulted from sin and self and Satan. But God can overrule it to His glory. Now listen to me. If y'all, y'all we just read in, in verse number 18, we have that word reckon again. Remember that from chapter number 6? That word reckon means to calculate, to reach a settled conclusion by careful reasoning and study. We take what we feel and we reckon ourselves to the truth of God's Word. I'm going to tell you something. When I got into Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, the truths that we can learn from these three chapters changed my Christian life forever. And I hope that you've learned something from these these messages. But listen to me. Reckon. The best thing I ever did in my life was reckon how I feel with what God's Word says. The best thing I ever did. My faith is in God. My faith is in Jesus Christ. His Word. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't trust God's Word, then, well... I don't know what to tell you. You need to get saved. Because the Bible is the authority in my life for everything. Everything. Is it true? Is it not? Go to the Word of God and see. How am I supposed to do this? Go to the Word of God and see. How shouldn't I do this? Go to the Word of God. Go to the Word of God. And honey, if you don't learn, it's not a surprise, it's not a coincidence that there is such a breakdown in our society of the Word of God. Even in our churches. You've got heretics like Andy Stanley that takes the Old Testament and just throws it out, doesn't even preach from it. He says it has nothing to do with us, we don't need it. Yeah. One of the largest churches in America. And then he takes the New Testament and he twists Scripture all to pieces. It's a mess. Why do we do that? He he won't even say the Bible says anymore. He goes to the author, he says, of the portion of Scripture he's reading. You know what that conveys? That conveys that what we read is not inspired by the Word of God. It's not inspired by God Himself, but the Bible says that He inspired. His very Word is inspired. How did we get it? Yes, physical men physically wrote the Bible as 
What's the Bible say? As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. When you start breaking all that down, I don't know what you're going to believe. Because if nothing's true, then what in the world do we believe? There's a breakdown in our society and in our churches of the Holy Word of God. And so if you don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God, I don't know how you're going to reckon yourself to it. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust God. And so that word reckon is very important. We take what we feel and we reckon our feelings to the facts we find in the Word of God. Now Paul may have wondered if all the trials that he was going through were worth it all. Because that's human, ain't it? It's human to wonder that, isn't it? After much thought, he realized that all the suffering we went through, or he went through, all of the robberies, the beatings, the stonings, the scourgings, the shipwrecks, none of those were even worthy to be compared to what God had waiting for him. And the terrible tortures of martyrs, burnings, beheadings, beasts, boiling in oil, the burden of crucifixion, they all seemed like pinpricks when Jesus adorns their brow with the crown of life. There's nothing like it. Nothing like Paul was saying this. If we could just focus on the glory to come, envision it, our present trials, our present troubles, our present tribulations would seem trivial to us. That's what he's trying to say. Everything you go through right now, it's not going to be anything. It can't even be, it can't, it's not even worthy to be compared. It's not that it doesn't compare. He says it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will come. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory, or weight of glory. Paul was giving us a secret. He was giving us a secret of how to keep going forward and stay positive in our attitude. We are to look forward to our future with the Lord. We are to look forward to our glory in heaven. We are to look forward to the reunion with loved ones and our fellowship with Christ. That should be the fuel that keeps us going in this life. And thank God we have so much to look forward to. But listen, without Christ, it's nothing. Without Christ, it's nothing. So if you're struggling today in your Christian life, then get some encouragement. Be lifted up in the fact that your current challenges are not the end of the story. And so we see here, we, we see what we endure, but then we also see in verse number 19, we see what we expect. The Bible says in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is that talking about? Well, Paul is speaking here. He speaks of the earnest expectation of the creature. This word earnest expectation, it's a wonderful word when you break it down in the Greek language. It's actually a word that's formed by three different words put together. Those three individual words that are put together mean this. Head, away, and watch. Head, away, and watch. The idea conveyed in this word when you study it out is to be on your tiptoes waiting in suspense and expectation yeah leaning or straining forward with intense desire and interest let me just illustrate that this way 
Let's go back 15 years. Black Friday, 5 a.m. at Best Buy, and all the TVs are $100. No, all them people are lined up outside, and they're about to push that door in because they just can't wait to get that deal. Earnest expectation carries that same idea. Preacher, what in the world? I'm saying what we're seeing here in the Bible is that we ought to be like that concerning the coming of Christ. That's what it says. It's what it, it's what, that's the idea it's trying to convey. Think about a little kid. I love taking my kids I mean, anywhere. They go to the zoo, Tweetsie Railroad, whatever it is. That's our two favorite places. But what do they do? Okay, we were at the zoo a couple weeks back. And every time we got some, especially like the polar bears or, well, the gorillas, they were closed. Elephants, elephants. My two kids love elephants. And when we got close and they saw that sign for elephants, they just went. It was you. Don't ruin my story. I'm just picking. And, and what are they doing? They get up, and, and there was some of the things there. Madeline, of course, she being smaller, I had to lift her up. But what she did, she would run up to the thing right there, and she'd just be trying to look and trying to find, and then she'd finally get aggravated and say, Hold me, Daddy, hold me. Pick me up. Y'all picture that in your heads. This is what the Bible is telling us we ought to be like concerning the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. We ought to be anticipating it. We ought to be eagerly expecting it any moment. Any moment. Mm. It's in it, it, the verse here, verse 19, it's emphasizing the intense longing that all creation has. What's the longing for? The ultimate resolution of sin and suffering. This passage suggests that even the natural world is yearning for the fulfillment of God's promises. And it serves as a powerful reminder to us of the profound significance of God's plan for redemption. Philippians 1.20 says this, According to my earnest expectation and, and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Hey, we as children of God today should be expecting and earnestly looking for Christ to return. Yeah. Come on, I need more help than that, y'all. Are y'all getting any of this at all? We ought to be earnestly expecting at any moment we're going to be called out of here. We're going to be in glory. We ought to yearn for that. Why? Because we ought to yearn for the day of redemption. Well, preacher, I'm already saved. I know. I'm looking forward to the day that I am saved from the very presence of sin, y'all. Maybe y'all don't struggle with it like I do. I long for the day 
that I can be as spiritual as I want to be. Am I being too honest? Huh? Come on, my pastor used to say, take your halos off and let's get real. Okay? All right. The next thing we see in this passage is this right here. We see, number two, the anguish of the believer. The anguish of the believer. There's three things here I want to look at in this point. And the first one's found in verse 20 and 21. We see these all have to do with the anguish of the believer. I'm going somewhere with this, but I want you to notice in verse 20 and 21, we see the anguish for the creature. The Bible says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. See, when God finished His creation, it was a good creation. Was it not? Today, though, it is a groaning creation, the Bible says. We can only imagine, we can only imagine what a beautiful place this earth must have been when it first came from the hands of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Could you just imagine? Paul says that the creature was made subject to vanity. This word vanity simply means futility, frustration. Yes. Disorder without success. You ever wonder why you try and try and try, but it just don't happen? I'm giving you an explanation. May not be the one you want. This word vanity, it describes something that does not measure up to that for which it is intended. It is unable to achieve its purpose. Romans 8 will help us if we let it. I'm telling you. See, Adam's sin, not all, hey, Adam's sin affected mankind, but it affected all of creation. There is nothing about this world that has not been tainted by sin. No animal, no human, nothing in nature. That's what, that's what we're reading here. Adam's sin affected everything. The ground was cursed. Wild animals die violent deaths. Disease destroys birds and animals and fish. It touches everything. We often say, well, that's the reason we die. Yes, it's also the reason why animals die. That's also why the, the flowers die and the, the trees die. Everything dies because everything has been touched by sin. Man's sin ripples through the world like shockwaves. And you know, I, I mentioned here, that word vanity, it's, it's something that doesn't live up to what its intended purpose was. That's us. Even the animals, even the world. See, Isaiah tells us how things were supposed to be. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9 says this. The Bible tells us the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. 
That ain't happening today, is it? And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. That ain't happening today. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The way things work today is not like that. You know what the Bible says? We've all come short. Everything that we see has fallen short of what its intended purpose was to be. Why? Because of one man's sin. Yeah. And here's the thing, y'all. Isaiah 11, that's how things were supposed to be. And you know what? Here's the good news. One of these days, it's going to be fixed. Amen, Rose goes right there. Come on now. One of these days, it'll all be fixed. Yeah, the Bible tells us that He's going to create a new earth, a new heaven. Mm. I'm longing. We ought to be earnestly expecting the day that Jesus writes all of the wrong in this world. And He's going to. He's going to. So we see anguish, anguish, uh, anguish for the creature. We see anguish for the creation in verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. See, the whole creation groans and is longing for the day of restoration. That word groaneth, it, it means to moan, to sigh, to grumble, it means to complain. If you ever want to know what that hears, what that sounds like, just come to my house every morning. After Noah gets out of bed, I'm playing. I love you, buddy. <laughs> Sometimes, pastor's kids got it rough. I had it rough, so it means he's yeah. I'm telling you, you better watch what you do around me. You'll probably end up being a sermon illustration. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm just playing with y'all. But hey, that's the way it is. You know how people are sometimes. You can get around them. They don't ever, they don't say much, but they're loud as all get out. Y'all know people like that? Come on now. Some of y'all probably like that, are you? Are you? I get, I get some head nods from that. You, what is that? That's groaning. Yeah. The Bible says all the whole creation groaneth. Yeah. That's why we, okay. We don't have to complain as, I was getting ready to ask why we complain. We don't have to complain as much as we do. I'm in a different context here. I just want y'all to understand what that's talking about. That phrase, travaileth in pain, means to be in agony like a woman who is in childbirth. 
Now, this is all very interesting wording and descriptive wording. And here's the thing. During labor, thank God, I don't know anything about all this. During labor, though, there is usually awful pain. But at the same time, y'all, there is a comforting expectation that there's a new life. That's about to be born. Y'all go home and meditate on that. Just think about it. Creation is yearning. It is groaning for the Son of God to return. And for the birth of a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 22.3 says, And there shall be no more curse. Hey, we have the divine promise. You and I as believers do. All of creation has a divine promise that one day the curse will be lifted. Amen. We have to deal with the sufferings and the pains of a sin-cursed world, but we have got God's promise today that there is a new day dawning. So I want you to notice this. I'm almost done. We see the anguish for the creature, the anguish for creation, but then we also see in verse 23 the anguish for the Christian. Look at what it says in verse 23. And not only they, so not just the creatures, not just all of creation, but ourselves also, the Bible says, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. See, along with creation and the creatures, the child of God also groans. Primarily, Paul is speaking of our desire to be free from these mortal, these sinful bodies. He mentions the first fruits of the Spirit. This, that phrase right there refers to the indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God in the believer's life. When we got saved, the, the Spirit of God moved into our lives. We find that back in verse number 9 of Romans 8 that says, But ye are not in the flesh, but ye are but, but in the Spirit. Ye are not in the flesh, but, are in, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. You see, when the Spirit came to us, when we were saved by God's amazing grace, He worked in us such a way that we began the process of seeing sin like God sees sin. Y'all get a hold of this. This is why I have such a problem with a lot of people today. That's why so many people, the Spirit that is inside of me, don't bear witness with the Spirit inside of them. Now they say it's Jesus. I know I got Jesus. As the old preacher once said, the Jesus inside of me ought to get along with the Jesus inside of you if it's the same Jesus. He said, the problem we got is the Jesus inside of me is not the same Jesus inside of you. And therefore, Jesus can't get along with the fake Jesus. Anyways, that's another message for another day. But you see, there's a problem when you get saved. 
There's a problem if you don't see sin the way God sees it. See, y'all remember, let's go back, let's think about the word confess. In order to confess, the very word means to say the same thing about as God. In the context of confessing your sin, you are to see it the same way God sees it. And then we are to repent from that sin. We've got a problem in our day that people do not see sin the way God sees it. And that is a major issue. Because when we are truly saved, when the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of our bodies, we begin a process of seeing sin like God sees it. I've heard people talk... I, 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 I just think I, I, I'm going to use this as an illustration because I thought it was hilarious when I was listening to the guy. I mean, I was listening to the testimony of this guy not long ago. He was he didn't know nothing about church. He didn't know nothing about the Bible. He didn't know nothing about. Uh, I mean, he, God got a hold of him one night because somebody gave him a Bible, and, and it's a long story. I'm, I'm going to give you the cliff notes, but he was a. I mean. It, he was on about three or four different kinds of drugs. He was an alcoholic. He partied all the time. He was a college student. Partied constantly. And he never could find what he was looking for. He never could. He was looking for something to satisfy him. He didn't know what it was. A friend had given him a Bible. He said one night he, he just got to the bottom of his rope anyways. God used that Bible. It was amazing. He said, I picked it up and I just opened it. And he said, I didn't like what I read there. So I just flipped over to another passage. And he said, I didn't like what I read there either. He's like, it was just like God was, was somebody was standing over me, reading it directly to me. He said, everything I looked at had something to do with me. I'm like, hallelujah. He goes on and he says, I, I don't. I didn't know nothing much. He said, I called this guy and he led me to the Lord and started trying to give me some pointers and some different things. He said, I just started reading the word. And he said, he said, I don't, I won't ever forget. He said, I got to praying one night and he said, I, I looked at the Lord or, or I had my Bible up and I said, God, I just can't understand this. Why can't I understand this? And he said, it was like the Lord spoke to me and said, well, maybe you should study my word when you're not smoking marijuana. I mean, you, you ought to hear this guy tell his story. It, it, it was, I mean, he didn't know any better. You know? But here's what I'm trying to illustrate. That was one thing. Then went the drinking. Then went several other things in his life. The man's actually a pastor now. But you know what ended up happening? Salvation took place. And then there was a process where the Holy Spirit began working inside of his life, showing him what was right and what was wrong. And through the working of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the reading of God's Word, yeah, oh man, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> no, yeah. We are caught up in all sorts of programs and we're caught up in all sorts of self-help guides. And we're caught up in... And I'm not saying all of those are wrong. I'm not. I'm not preaching against that. 
I come from a church where we had several programs, and it was great. It was wonderful. We had several ministries, several programs, all ages, all people, all walks of life. It's wonderful. I'm not preaching against that. But what I am saying is, in the world, we have so many. I, I've walked into Christian bookstores before, and you go through four or five aisles of self-help books, and they've got just one little section of Bibles in a Christian bookstore. That's messed up. Don't ever underestimate what the power of an indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will do in your life. We don't need as much as we think. The Spirit of God sensitized us to sin. We became sensitive to sin around us and in us. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the best prayers I ever prayed was God... Will you break my heart for the things that break yours? My friend, let me tell you, He will show you. He will enlighten you. He will open your eyes if you're just willing. Willing. That's the problem. A lot of us are not interested. We don't want that heartache. We don't want to see things the way God sees them. I'm going to tell you something. It'll help you in your Christian life. And if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and if you're truly saved, you are, then there is a moment, there is a process that God will sensitize you to sin. And as a result, we are afflicted by the sins we commit. It's like the, it's like the great preacher C.H. Spurgeon said, how can I enjoy the very thing that killed my best friend? You think about that. He didn't say he didn't sin, but he said he didn't enjoy it. And that is a perfect picture of the Christian life. Chapter Romans chapter 7 is exactly that. It's not that we don't sin, but y'all, we ought to hate it. It ought to do something to us. Mm. Why should it bother us? Because it's what put our Savior on Calvary's cross. We are afflicted by the sins we commit and, that, and we are afflicted by the sins that we see others commit. If sin doesn't bother you, then you've got a serious spiritual problem today. If you can witness sin and it not affect you, something, something is missing from your heart. I don't encourage people to watch the news, but it ought to break your heart to see what's going on in America today. I ought to break your heart to see what's going on in our schools. I ought to break our hearts as children of God. Why? Because we know why it's happening. And we know it doesn't have to be that way. All of this serves to produce within the believer a sense of longing. We want to be delivered from the sinful, mortal bodies that we have. And regardless of what anyone tells you, your flesh did not get saved. It's a depraved, it's wicked as it's ever been. Just remember what I preached last Sunday at Romans 7. Aren't there times when you would do just about anything to be freed from your flesh? Let's just be honest. Wouldn't it be a blessing if you never again had a wicked thought? Wouldn't it be a blessing if you never did anything wrong? Wouldn't it be a blessing if, if everywhere you went you spoke in a good tone of voice and everybody just 
Yeah. You know why you lash out at people? Because of sin. You know why you have a bad day? Because of sin. You know why you hurt? Because of sin. Mm. One of these days. There's coming a day when we won't have to worry about it. That fact is what the Bible is trying to tell us. Should motivate us to keep fighting. Let me tell you something. You know what would do us good today? We've spent two Sundays, Romans 6 and Romans 7. You know what it would be good? After Romans 8, you know what would be good for us? If we'd stop focusing on today's groaning and look forward to tomorrow's glory. That's what God's trying to tell us. Don't get caught up in all of this. Look forward. Understand it. Reckon yourself. You know what will happen when you reckon your feelings to what the Word of God gives us as facts? You know what will happen? You'll begin longing. You'll begin longing for that day ahead. And whether you believe it or not, it will give you fight. It will give you the strength to press on another day. Because there's coming a day (laughs) when today's groaning bondage will be exchanged for tomorrow's glorious liberty. Yeah. I got three more points, but I'm 41 minutes in. I don't suppose y'all want me to stay and preach. Y'all might be hungry. There's three more points. Yeah, I got one amen on that one. I got three more points, but you know what? We'll get them tonight. This is a good place to stop. But make sure you come back for part two. Here's the thing. Here's what I. Here, here's the thing. Whoever said the walk of faith was easy, they lied. We've got a lot of people lying today. I will say that even though it's not easy, and it's not always easy, it's never impossible. Are we going to suffer? Yes. Are we going to groan while we're here? Yeah. Yeah. Will there be times when we fail? Will there be times that we feel like quitting? Yes. Ain't no sense in lying about it. It's the truth. But here's the thing. In those times, y'all, in those times, remember, we've got the Spirit of God within us. And He enables us to remain diligent. He enables us to remain committed as we travel. I don't know about y'all, but I'm just visiting this planet. I'm not here for good. And you know what? The Holy Spirit will help us get through our lives, get through this sojourn, this visiting. We're heading toward a final destination. Amen. Let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes this morning.